Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Automotive Insiders presented by OESA. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here with someone I haven't talked to in over six months. I don't know where the time has gone. Brian Darty, how are you? Doing great, Bonnie. How are you doing? I'm very well. So happy to see you again. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in case there's three people out there in our listening audience who don't remember you. Shame on them. Brian, refresh their memory, please. Sure. Uh, my name is Brian Darty. I'm the Chief Technology Officer of the Motor and Equipment Manufacturers Association, of which OESA is one of the divisions. Uh, MEMA has four divisions, a heavy-duty, aftermarket, a light vehicle, and uh, uh, remanufacturing, all for automotive and uh, heavy-duty parts. So our members are about 1,000 members uh, who produce parts for the OEMs for both heavy-duty trucks, aftermarket, and, and the light vehicle manufacturers worldwide. You so my can. background is uh, essentially 30 years in the automotive industry, uh, primarily in electronics, everything from advanced driver assistance systems, so radar and machine vision, to uh, cockpit electronics, uh, interlock brakes, things like that. You have been busy, Brian. Quite a career, quite an interesting background. I have so many important topics I want to talk to you about. Why don't we start with BEVs? I didn't even know what that was until you told me it's battery electric vehicles. What's the big deal about them? Why have they been in the news? What should we look forward to? Brian? Well, we've seen a lot of attention. Obviously, Tesla um, in the stock market is doing very well. You know, Tesla uh, in the last few weeks and last few months is valued at about five times the combined value of uh, GM and uh, Ford put together. So uh, incredible story in terms of the market thinking that this is, you know, the next big technology and everyone wants to invest in it. So uh, a lot of money pouring into this space globally. There's about $300 billion has been committed by the major automakers around the world to build battery electric vehicles over the next few years. So that includes the money to design and develop them as well as uh, produce them in their factories. So with all this money pouring in, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this works out. Actually, in t- uh, 2019, so the last year we have full year data, uh, battery electric vehicles or BEVs represented about 1.6% of the U.S. market. So, mm. you know, only about one out of 75 or 80 vehicles sold was a true battery electric vehicle. So consumers so far really haven't jumped into this space other than, you know, the Tesla owners. So we're kind of on this cusp of all of these new battery electric vehicles coming out. And consumers may not be quite ready to adopt the technology as quickly as the OEMs are are producing these vehicles. So I think it's going to be a very interesting and challenging time for the auto industry. We also have. I want to ask you, would I know a BEV if I saw one, Brian, on the road? Any any Tesla is a battery electric vehicle. So if you've seen a Tesla, you've seen a battery electric vehicle. Um, Other OEMs also offer them. Uh, Audi has their e-tron. Porsche has uh, vehicle, but really the real volumes are coming in in the next couple years. We should see 
over 100 and maybe even closer to 130 BEV models for sale in the United States within about three or four years. So you've got a lot of models chasing what now, at least today, is a very small slice of the market. And so that's going to be interesting to see if consumers are willing to, number one, pay more for a vehicle, Mm -hmm. but number two, kind of change their lifestyle. Because with a battery electric vehicle, obviously, you can't go to a gas station and just fill it up in five minutes. You need to plan a little more and and charge at home or at work or on your route if you're on a long trip. So it involves a bit more of a lifestyle change than, than most product purchases. It may impact people who don't charge their phones often enough, right, Brian? And yes, it's, it's yes. Like you in a whole different situation than just a just a, a great big charger. giant phone that needs to be charged. Very, very interesting. Let's let's put this in the context of the global tightening of fuel economy standards. What would be the impact on these BEVs, as you call them? So, as as we know, um, you know, fuel economy standards are tightening all around the world, um, especially in Europe. Um, they've really been tightening from a CO2 emission standpoint, along with the criteria pollutants like uh, SOXs and NOXs, the sulfur and nitrogen compounds. Um, But we've got an interesting situation in that a lot of the low-hanging fruit has already been picked in terms of improving vehicle uh, fuel economy. So we're starting to get into more expensive technologies. So now battery electric vehicles come along and those have much better fuel economy from an equivalent standpoint. So you're seeing automakers using battery electric vehicles to help balance out and raise their fleet average fuel economy. Now, Europe is in an interesting situation because we've heard about the diesel gate that's gone on over the past four or five years where diesels were emitting more pollutants than were allowed um, that were sold in Europe and the U.S., and now diesel sales in Europe have dropped from around 50% to just a little over 20%. Those vehicles, however, got much better fuel economy. So they were helping keep up the fuel economy MPG or equivalent standards over in Europe. Now that those vehicles are not being sold with diesels, they're going to have to make up that improved fuel economy with battery electric and hybrid vehicles. And the U.S. is not far behind. So we have similar issues. Our curve is a little less steep than the European curve right now. But you're going to see automakers really trying to sell these battery electric vehicles to improve their overall fleet fuel economy. Thank you, Brian. Fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about a topic you introduced to me in your notes before the show. I've never heard of this, automated vehicles. And I said to you, I know automotive and I know autonomous, but I don't know automated. And you're talking about robo-taxis, that technology. What's going on, Brian? Correct. So the, the term automated is probably the more accurate term, autonomous tends to mean a vehicle that can drive itself anywhere. So at the very high end of the automated or automation scale, you, you could use the word autonomous. The word gets kind of bandied about now uh, in the media to mean automated, but at the lower end of this automated spectrum, we have vehicles that have uh, like GM Super Cruise. So a highway only driver assistance system that will allow you to monitor the road, but the vehicle will essentially stay in the lane, centered in the lane, and uh, with adaptive cruise control, not run into the vehicle in front of you. Uh, The Tesla Autopilot is another example. So the Society for Automotive Engineers has a scale that goes from zero to five, zero meaning no automated technology at all. One and two would be the systems that I just described. So the GM Super Cruise, as well as the Tesla Autopilot. Then you start getting, as you get up into three, four, and five, 
Level four is that technology that we would commonly call a robo taxi. So uh, a technology that no driver is required at any point during the ride. It may be restricted to a particular geographic area, but it can drive itself. And even if something goes wrong with the system or something changes in the weather, it can pull over to the side of the road and set itself up in a safe way. And we call that um, failing operational so that essentially if there's a failure, the vehicle will still operate well enough to get to a safe position where it can stop or shut down. And we're seeing examples of that with, um, of course, the low end of automation, as I mentioned, but the level four, we have Uber, uh, Lyft, um, uh, Waymo, which is a division of Google, uh, working on this technology. And now cruise automation just in the last week or two has gotten approved to test five vehicles in the San Francisco area with no safety driver. Now Waymo has been doing this for months and even over a year in some cases in the Phoenix area with some of their passengers um, in terms of giving them taxi rides with no driver, no safety driver. So that's a big step that's going forward in the automated vehicle world. It's unclear how fast this is going to occur because things I think the, the reality is kind of hit in this space that this is a very difficult problem to solve and that we're really going to take quite a while to see any real numbers of these, you know, on the streets um, other than the test vehicles. So, it, but it's a very interesting space to watch. It certainly is. And I'm thinking as you're speaking, Brian, I've, I've been hosting for many years, a show called the future of cars with game changers for SAP. And this year they changed it to the future of mobility and manufacturing. And we talk sometimes about the, the, the social implications of who will be driving. And, and sometimes I ask my guests on that show, uh, let's predict in the next five years, will you personally still have keys to a car in your pocket, in your wallet, in your purse, in your backpack on the table next to the front door? So now we're getting into the sharing economy, right? Cars by subscription or you pick up a car somewhere and you, you order a car, a great big SUV to go on a ski trip. And then you want to go to the beach the next week and you order this really sexy convertible car and you only, you don't own cars. And then I, I know a lot of people who say their teenagers are not getting driver's licenses, Brian, because they have no intention of driving at all. Duh, boggles the mind. I've been a sports car owner for 30 years. I'm not giving up the keys. Any thoughts about how this, the technology you're talking about, these exciting, the automated cars and the autonomous, will that grab the attention of which part of the, shall we say, the population that needs to get from point A to point B where they can't walk? Let's look at it that way. Well, I think you've really hit the nail on the head with the question there. I think, you know, there are definite elements of the population, elderly, people who can't drive a car that would love this technology, as well as, uh, you know, younger individuals who would rather be texting or communicating, you know, on their personal devices rather than worrying about driving. So the desire is definitely there. The problem isn't the desire. The problem is, can you make the technology work when you have a sudden snowstorm, when you have some unexpected object in the road? And we've all seen some of the the tragic accidents that have happened over the last few years and some of the testing and, and some of the uh, level two vehicles that are out there right now. So I think you're going to see a more nuanced approach to this where companies are really making sure that this technology is ready. And I think we're going to start seeing, you know, a lot more level two systems. So like the Tesla autopilot, where we're really assisting the driver rather than uh, full blown automation where there's no driver at all and you can go anywhere. Part of the problem is, as you 
can understand, a, an urban environment, which is where the most people live, is the most complex automotive environment. And you may also have some taxi cab drivers out there who aren't very friendly to these vehicles in the initial days too. So uh, that's already been seen in some of the testing. So a lot of automated vehicles get cut off. So. Ooh, well, that's, that's a whole different show. Brian, I always enjoy talking to you. You, are, you have so much great information. It must be very exciting doing what you do at MEMA. Is this an exci- truly an exciting time it is. for you? This is, you know, I've been in the industry now 30 years, worked on with some fabulous people and had some fabulous teams developing technology. And, you know, with this role as the chief technology officer, I work with all of our member companies across the industry and get to talk about technology all of the time with all of them. So, it's really been interesting kind of peeking under the curtain in, in the industry and seeing what's going on at other companies and uh, really being able to try to help the industry understand where these trends are going and how they can best invest for the future to drive their business forward in terms of where technology is going to be on these vehicles. And driving their business forward is a nice a nice metaphor for driving and driving us all where we need to go, right? Whether we're behind the wheel. There, there was a, a gentleman um, at SAP who, who passed away very suddenly a couple of years ago, but he was the original sponsor of, it was Larry, I can't remember his last name. He was the original sponsor of the future of cars. And he used to say that one day we will be the cargo. Humans will be the cargo in the car. We will be in the, not in the trunk, but we will be in the back seat. We will be taken somewhere. And that was the trend that he always thought we would be. Any quick thoughts on that? We're going to wrap in a second. Well, I, you know, we in the industry never like to define passengers as cargo, but um, I think there's <laughs> actually another interesting sideline aspect to that. You may see from an automated vehicle standpoint that actually cargo shipments are the first thing that we really see because Cargo, it doesn't really matter if it takes your box an extra two or three minutes to get to its destination. So the vehicles could be potentially much more conservative in their programming for their driving. Whereas humans say, well, I want to get there. Why is my vehicle sitting here and waiting? Because it's confused. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. I think we may see more cargo type vehicles early on uh, than we see, you know, the traditional what's known as a robo taxi. And maybe also truck deliveries on highways, you know, where it's a simpler mm-hmm. environment rather than in a city. His name was Larry Stoley. We missed him. I think you might remember him. We, he was wonderful. He started the show with me in 2016, and he he always had uh, a special mug that he carried in the car. His coffee, his keep the coffee hot mug. He was and he was a fan of a famous coffee brand. We had some great shows. Brian Darty. I hope you'll come back again before the end of the year on Automotive Insiders. That's a hint to Adam Slayman, who sets up these interviews. We <laughs> got to get Brian back. Brian, you have such great information. You have your literally your finger on the pulse or your foot on the pedal of the automotive and the automated and the autonomous vehicle industry. So, Brian, why don't we both do a shout out? Say thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Bonnie. It's a pleasure talking with you. Oh, always a pleasure. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody drive safely. That's all I'll say. Whether you're in the front, in the back, wherever you are, just be safe getting from A to B. Signing off for Automotive Insiders presented by OESA, OESA.org. Go find out more. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel. 
and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.